Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. How on earth am I going to tell a bunch of hard-hitting commandos about emotions? You know, I'm a bit of a pacifist. And I was thinking, man, they're going to be, you know, like a bunch of knuckle-dragging, you know, silverbacks on crack. Well, I actually know a couple. They're not like that. <laughs> I know, right? Dr. Jim King, welcome to Straight Talk. Being emotionally intelligent actually is a protective factor against stress. How do you optimise your biochemistry? Cortisol just doesn't happen to affect people in, the, in battle. We're in battle every day. Cortisol really changes the lens with which you see the world. You become reactive, you become hypervigilant, have a bias for negativity. Stress is the worst time to make cognitive decisions. You really need to understand that what you bring into a meeting will be contagious. What is money to you then? A means to an end. It gets me what I think I need to get. And what do you need to get? I seek simplicity and peace of mind yeah but i want to get back to you sorry that's my human <laughs> you can't help yourself <laughs> dr jim king welcome to straight talk thank you for having me how's your voice well i was just saying i sound like i've been on a heavy diet of whiskey and cigars i haven't i just went to the austin rodeo last night and there was an australian bull rider there it's in Texas, and you can imagine it was an incredible cultural experience with these, you know, big-ass hats and boots and, you know, buckles. And, yeah, it was it was real. And, you know, American flags and everybody stood up and sung, you know, the national anthem and they did a, a collective prayer and it was really a, interesting. A, a collective prayer, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. You're a, a behavioural scientist. Yeah, turbo yeah. nerd, really. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and why did you choose to do your... PhD and, and or I guess or your thesis and whatever things you try to get published in human behaviour? Oh, I've always been fascinated by people. Um, and I think that, you know, I was wanted to do medicine when I was, you know, younger and I just found myself reading psychology books for fun. And so I thought, you know what, I, I might as well do what I'm passionate about and I'm reading anyway. And thank God, because a lot of my friends who are in the medical fraternity, it's a really stressful job. It's a lot of responsibility in mine. I don't have as much responsibility in my job, but I just love understanding the nexus between the brain and the body and then how that, you know, translates into behavior, how you think about yourself, how you think about others in your vicinity, your relationships, 
um, more broadly how you show up at work and then more broadly how you show up in your community. I'm totally fascinated. So I see this as like concentric circles. So there's the physiology, then there's the, you know, you with your, you know, immediate people, work, community. And um, so I spent a lot of time researching it now. And my PhD, you know, was around stress initially. Um, I chose that subject because I was pretty stressed myself. I had three kids. Um, I'd gone through a divorce and I was like, oh, my God, there must be a better way. This is, this is really tough. And so I decided to study it. When you say stress, you're talking about the um, effects on our behaviour as a result of being stressed or are you talking about the effects on our physical self? Both. So um, I started off um, actually in honours doing – so I, just to go back, I did medical microbiology, immunology, then st- studied psychology and then um, went to the business school in UQ and did business management. And then during my honours I was looking at – Stress, and I, I, I knew that people were really not that honest, whether deliberately or unknowingly, about their stress states. Either they would under-report or catastrophize, or somewhere in between. And so I was really interested in getting a objective measure of stress. So then I looked at cortisol, which is the stress hormone, and then looking at immune function (IgA). And so, um, in my studies within um, my honours, I looked at cyber bullying or in cyber incivility and, and teamwork and then, you know, orchestrated these experiments where I got people to get stressed by getting ostracised or rejected and then I tested their cortisol and then I also tested their emotional t- intelligence. And then, um, then I went on to do my PhD. So my PhD was basically a preemptive approach to stress using bio you know, biomarkers. biomarkers and then using emotional intelligence principles as a moderator of stress. What was your finding? novel finding? Being emotionally intelligent actually is a protective factor against stress. So therefore, okay, then my obvious question to you is what does emotional intelligent mean? You know, there's a big fight amongst academics, of course. You know, everyone holds on to their model like a religion um, and so – you know, academics like to fight and say that my model's right and that one's not. So the one that I um, did in my PhD is out of Yale um, and it's called the, we test it using the Mesquite, um, the Maya Salovey um, Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test and it is made up of four sub-factors. And so basically the first sub-factor is emotional perception. So that is looking at understanding and perceiving when emotions start to arise in yourself, sort of like when you start to feel your, your, your you know, um, jaw clench or you get tight in your chest or, you know, those first instance uh, indicators of stress um, the, or looking at the ability to see emotions in other people's faces, emotional perception, micro expressions, body language, vocal intonation, even atmospheric. So knowing like the emotions of a room or a group of people, lie detection. So that's the first factor. Then there is emotional understanding. So why are Am I feeling these emotions? Why is that person feeling that emotion? And so emotions can transmute, blend. They can, you know, you can have two seemingly opposite emotions coexist in the same person and then you know if they exist, 
the next emotion is probably going to be this. So it's a little bit of like you can future tell if you understand. So, for instance, um, melancholy. So you're looking at a picture of your much-loved, gorgeous grandmother. You were at the beach that day. It was a happy time, but she's dead. So then you're feeling, you know, happy and sad at the same time, which, which turns into melancholy. And so once you get a good understanding of the different blends and how um, emotions work, it's, it's very advantageous for, for many things. Do you mean a conscious understanding? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then so the, the um, third component is emotional facilitation or use. So, okay, you saw it, you understand it. How are you going to use that emotion for the betterment of your goals, your team's goals, life goals? And so that would mean like, um, okay, I am going to um, orchestrate the meeting in a certain way. I'm going to, um, I don't know, say, use intonations in my voice a different way deliberately. I'm going to use certain words that I know will create an emotional, um, evoke emotions in another person. As you know, data doesn't move people, emotions does. So just being knowing how to use emotional data. Emotions are just data. They're signs of, from your all of your physiology and it's your interpretation of them mixed in with memory, your construct of the world, social conditioning, cultural conditioning. And that's how you know when or what to use what, what when. And then comes in the fourth component, which is emotional management. So this is managing emotions in yourself. So you can feel the heat rising. You can feel yourself getting agitated. Now's not the time because your boss doesn't want to hear it or, you know, there's, a, there's something bigger at play. Your child's sick or, or even, um, you know, you're in a team. So it's about um, managing emotions in others. So say you have to get through some very arduous, you know, like a bid proposal and there's a lot of, you know, technical considerations. How do you up you know, regulate, motivate your team in an emotional way to get that thing done. So it's about self and other and also more broadly like a system. Do you determine using this particular model from yeah. that universe, I think it was Yale, Yale yeah. um, to underpin your your definition yeah. or your recognition of what emotional intelligence is, okay? Yeah. How did you then do the rest of your thesis? In other words, what was the point of arriving at that this? position? Yeah, really good question um, because, you know, there's a big debate about what's more important, emotional intelligence or IQ. I think they're both very important for success. But so um, I was at the University of Queensland and, you know, studying, you know, emotional intelligence and using, you know, cortisol testing and the Australian Army came around and they were looking for research to fund and I'm a, you know, I'm a bit of a pacifist, sort of a little anti-war. <laughs> and um, so people were saying, you should go and try out for this funding. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't really want to work as a grant. part of the PhD. Right, yep. And so I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to do that. And they're like, You're, you know, cortisol testing is pretty expensive. And I was like, okay. And so I, there was like, oh, like 250 students going for this money. And I thought, okay, I'll use my emotional intelligence to to, I don't know, set myself apart. So it's really funny that I found out who was interviewing from defence and he had a PhD in war history or something. So then I read all of his white papers, like, 
not my field. Um, and so when I, you know, he'd seen all these students and so then I walk in with my supervisor and sit down and he's like, okay, what's, what, what's your thesis? What's, what, are you, what are you studying? I said, before we start, I was just wondering, could you like explain this thing about this thing that you were like, and he's like, oh, oh. And then he started, you know, talked about himself for 45 minutes. Then he's like, oh, what, what's, your, what's your research? And I said it was a preempt approach to stress using, you know, um, biomarkers and using emotional intelligence training. He goes, I love it. I've suffered myself from mental health disruption. And then we walked out and my supervisor was like, Yes, that was so good. Um, and then I went away. I didn't hear anything for ages and I was like, oh, I bombed that for, that one for sure. I should have talked more about my brother, that research. And then I got this email saying that I'd won. And I was like, oh, my God, now I actually have to go and work with defence. And so um, through, you know, a series of different you know, serendipitous uh, events, I ended up at the Australian Special Forces in Holsworthy down in Sydney. And so I don't know if you know about Australian Special Forces, there's like Special Operations Command, there's the SAS over in Perth and there's commandos in Sydney and they're like do a whole range of things but they're more like the six-man assault teams that do counterterrorism, um, very different, culturally quite different uh, from when I was there. And so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I didn't have no idea what these guys did and I was thinking, man, they're going to be you know, like a bunch of, you know, knuckle-dragging, you know, silverbacks on crack, like, you know, you know, you know, could just imagine the prototypical. Well, I actually know a couple. So, yeah, they're not like that. <laughs> I know, right? So then I get there and I'm like, oh, okay, this is different, you know, and we, t- we IQ tested them for my research. You know, IQ's up of 140 really smart guys and they actually were the best students I've ever had and I've lectured for years at unis and – so basically what I did, I did two years of research. So it was a, we were looking at a preemptive approach to stress. So getting all of these um, tools into their vernacular, into their muscle memory, into their ecosystem. So then when things did go wrong, they already had these things available to them. And so um, what I did was I had a treatment and a control group. And so you know, firstly – I thought I, I really need to understand this culture. So it was sort of like ethnographic research. I sort of immersed myself in this environment, really unusual environment for a female. There's no, hardly really no females there. And so then I spent a lot of time researching and talking to the guys who'd been to war, had seen a lot of combat. And I'm like, what do you do when you're stressed? And what is that? And then what, if that happens, like, what are you actually doing? And it was for, for a lot of them, it was the first time that I'd actually been asked these questions and asked to introspect about, you know, what was their methodology. I'm like, what did you, what went wrong and what did you wish you knew? And and so basically I, as a human behaviourist, I kind of, um, you know, got this taxonomy of what they did and who they were and they sort of like taught it back to them. And so the really fascinating information came out of them. So I, I, I extracted it, I distilled it down, I put science behind it and, and sort of, you know, put, the rationale, this is why you did this, this is why it worked, this is what it didn't work. And then so when the candidates were coming through special forces selection, we had this really great model where there would be green hat, white coat. So we'd oscillate between stories of guys in, in combat, you know, they tell worries, they'd be like, this is what I did, this is what I saw, this is what I wish I knew. Now listen to her, right, because otherwise why would they listen to me? And so it was a really effective way of um, – of getting the stories and the science across. 
And so basically, you know, I was teaching emotional regulation, um, emotional intelligence. I was using a biopsychosocial model, so looking at the holistic person. And, you know, can imagine I'm thinking how on earth am I going to tell a bunch of hard-hitting, you know, commandos about emotions? You know, I was thinking they're probably not going to want to listen to this. So then I, I, I realised I needed a hook and because I'd spent a lot of time um, researching psychoneuroimmunology and endocrinology, I said, okay, guys, you all want testosterone, yeah? Like you, testosterone is important for you, makes you fast and more aggressive, more dominant, bigger muscle lecture, you know, heavier bones. And they're like, yep, yep, yep. I said, so did you know that cortisol blocks testosterone? And they were like, ah. Oh. And I'd give the science behind my evolutionary perspective. All, all my stuff was through an evolutionary lens. And I'm like, in, yeah. other, in other words, why? Yeah, the why. Genetically, why were we built that we, way? What, why, is it, why does it work best for us to block it? Oh, yeah. What? So, from like, so I, um, I call it the F switch. So, from hunt together perspective, so you know, like we've been Homo sapiens for like 250,000 years, which literally is a blink in an evolutionary scale. Like, you get a 12 hour clock like humanity, like modern society is like a four-second blip. So the better part of 250,000 years, humanity's lived in savannas of East Africa and clans where all of our physiology, our neuroarchitecture was very, very adaptive for the types of stresses that we were faced with back then. You know, threats of predation, cold, violence, you know, those basic things. And so um, being having high testosterone was really important in terms of you know, being able to fight, forage, um, but also procreate. Now, if um, your brain detects high levels of cortisol, it thinks there's some pretty bad stuff going on. I need to enroll my fight or flight system, which is basically cortisol is a mechanism to re release, you know, resources that you need to fight or flee, glycogen out of your liver into your bloodstream and all these biochemical cascades that just make you be able to run or fight, but also it shuts down your um, ability or, or even want to procreate because if there's violence, something you know, something stressful going on, you just don't want to have sex. You don't want to be shagging like rabbits, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, um, so, so what happens is cholesterol comes in. It's quite complicated biochemistry, but it'll either go to testosterone, the sex hormones, or it'll go to the stress hormones, to cortisol, and like so, it's a it's a switch. And so I'd, I'd say to the guys, okay, so if you don't control your cortisol, everything's going to shrink. They'd be like, what? <laughs> and, I'm, and they're like, what, what's this emotional intelligence stuff you speak of? Like, how do I stop this cortisol? And so then they were, became very interested in managing emotions because, and all the things that I spoke about that would help you drop your cortisol. So my whole... I suppose, narrative or thread that, that went through every single module I taught was how do you optimise your biochemistry? Cortisol. Hacker, basically hacking your biochemistry. Yeah, testosterone, oxytocin. So oxytocin is an interesting one. So we teach the collective challenge state. So it's this really intoxicating mix of testosterone in a heightened stress, like stress state where you've got brotherly love. And what this does, it makes men fight to the death for each other. That's when that you, are you saying though, that's when the hormone oxy oxytocin is present? 
Yeah. Yeah. So you and so you do you is there some way to manipulate the um, production of oxytocin in your brain yeah. to put you in that state? Yeah. So of of course, having sex, kissing, hugging, lactating, giving birth, um, laughing, look, eye contact, patting animals. Um, the funniest one, and and this became quite a joke um, in the training, is tweaking your nipples. <laughs> so before. When, before the guys are going to do something stressful, that will be like, you know, squeezing each other's nipples and slapping each other on the bum as a joke. So it, it became quite funny. Um, and so oxytocin is this incredible hormone. Like it is um, anti-anxiety, um, antidepressant. It um, increases wound healing. It, it makes you more generous. It makes you more trusting, more trustworthy. Um, it, uh, it, it, you know, increases cellular growth. It does make you jealous though. Oh, really? Yeah, so it, it has this in-out, it, it has this pronounced in-out schema. So I will die for you, brother. Like I love you to death. I'll do anything for you. But those bastards over there, they can all die. So that's what it does. It gives you this real. So does MDMA have the same effect as oxytocin? Um, no, I think that or what MDMA does, it hits the serotonin pathway. And so it's, um, I do believe it's a, like a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So you've got more serotonin hanging in the, um, so it's not oxytocin. No, but interesting to do that research because I know that when you are on it, like you, you love loving. everybody. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and there's some really, I like, I think they've just made, like made it available for research. And I really, really am a strong proponent of MDMA on a, you know, in clinical trials under certain circumstances for, you know, for relationships, yeah, yeah. for PTSD, for um, OCD. Like I, I really do believe it's a very um, worthwhile drug of research. Now, cortisol just doesn't happen to affect people in the oh, in battle. It's we're in battle every day. You need it, right? You work. actually need cortisol. Yeah, and uh, but cortisol can affect a stack of things. If it's sort of rushing around your system at ten o'clock at night, you're not going to be able to get to sleep. Yep, immune function, digestion, gut biome, so sleep. What do you say about that to somebody? So, I mean, you showed me these glasses here because you just got <laughs> off a plane, and they're about sort of trying to set your um, circadian rhythm circadian rhythm but it's not just your circadian rhythm that'll stop you from sleeping or put you to sleep or help I've you go to sleep lists of things of what that will stop you from sleeping things you don't even know yeah so like uh, let, let's say days finished at work had a rough day all of a sudden um, I, I get an email a bank in the united states has gone broke <laughs> yeah and uh it's just the start of the gfc which i might have experienced and uh, you know you're starting to imagine all the worst things mm -hmm. and uh you get stressed out humans are, are really amazing because we can imagine we don't know if what other animals can do that but your brain um cannot tell the difference between imagining and, and actually seeing so there's, I've got this great picture and, and so they put someone in a scanner, an MRI, and they showed them the, a picture of a white bear and their occipital lobe, their visual cortex lit up. Then they said to that person, imagine a white bear and similar region, the occipital cortex, visual cortex lit up. And so when you're imagining all of those catastrophic events that could happen, um, your brain will activate your fight or flight system, even though you're sitting at a desk, there's no bear like trying to, you know, tear your throat off. Um, but your brain is a, like, that's a very primitive system and it has a better be safe than sorry policy. So it thinks, hmm, I'm thinking these things. I don't know if it's real or imagined, 
um, I better just produce some adrenaline and cortisol just in case. And that's got a 30 minute half-life. So if you're trying to go to bed and you're like, oh, go to sleep. And then 30 minutes later, you're still like, oh, I go to sleep. It's, you know, it's a vicious. So 30 minute half-life means that at 30 minutes, it's, half it of that still half of that is still yeah. in your system and yeah. half's gone out of your system. Yeah. So you're saying that your brain will produce um amount of cortisol as and, and adrenaline as if it ha- was happening in front of you. Yeah, as if someone was coming to steal your money, like like literally, like with a knife or something. So what was okay? So, you know, because I'm immediately thinking you should I should get all my money out of this particular place and move right. it out of this bank to another bank, or have I got my money in the Silicon Valley Bank, I've got to move it out of there to some other place. What's going to happen? Am I only going to get 50%? So you start to panic. Stress is the worst time to make um, cognitive decisions. If I've got cortisol running in my system, I'd imagine my genetic evolution of my system is such that my judgment becomes impaired with yes. all this stuff racing around. Yeah. Really all I'm able to do is take off that way yeah. or wrestle the bear it's to the binary. ground. binary, yeah. Yes. Zeros and ones. Yeah. It says, yeah, okay. So uh-huh. I just, are you asking me for yeah, yeah, financial, asking, financial no, advice? No, no, no. But I'm, I'm asking you what <laughs> do I do person. in this situation? So because yeah. my brain doesn't allow me to make good good judgments. Absolutely. It really does. Cortisol really changes the lens with which you see the world. You become reactive, you become hypervigilant, you become um, have a bias for negativity, you become quite myopic in your thoughts, you become less generous, you, you're, um, you're delayed discounting so you're short-term, like you, you, you know that delayed discounting, mm. do you want 100 bucks now or do you want $150 tomorrow? That totally changed to become like I want, I want to fix things now. And so, yeah, it is... It is really dangerous to make big, big decisions in that moment when you know that you're physiologically activated. So if your heart rate is over 100 beats per minute, you, you're, you've gone into a, like an amygdala hijack. Like you are not – your access to your prefrontal cortex is diminished. So Which is, which is where all your, your, your decision-making is done. Mm-hmm. That's your management system at the front. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so – there's no one answer for everyone. Like so everyone experiences stress in a different way. It became, um, it's dependent on your genetics, your intrauterine environment, when you, how much stress your mum was under, your own blood glucose levels at that moment, how much sleep you've had, what you've eaten, and also um, the, uh, the culmination of what other events have happened that day. So I've actually got a decision-making um, which I've given, I'm giving to the guys um, who I'm working with in the financial um, industry. Okay, before you make a big decision, these are the psychophysiological factors you should be aware of. Yeah, so you see, so you know, you're monitoring stuff. No, yeah. So, like, yeah. Um, heart rate. Have you, have you been drinking? Have you, what's your heart rate? Have you had a good sleep? Have you had an argument with your partner? Mm. Um, have you had, have you exercised? Uh, what have you eaten? Um, what are, what, what are the high stakes? Like who's going to hate you if, if this happens? So this, this What's the gravity of the decision? Yeah. What's the gravity of the event, I should yeah, say? Yeah. And so depending on like your history because, you know, your history really plays into it. And so you've gone through the GFC so you would have some some pretty big failure scars and it would be terrifying this for you, you know, more so than someone who hadn't. Or maybe if you've come through it really well, you've got a little bit more resilience. Maybe you've you've kind of like I've seen this before, I know I'll be fine. So that's why there's a difference. So so just practically, if you're like freaking out, you literally should disengage from whatever you are doing and you should um, look at something that you know that you're good at. So um, read something that you've, like so if you've written an article and you've got heaps of likes, just go and look at that again. Look at some kind of success 
factor in your life. And so what that does, it just sort of reminds you that you're not a terrible human being and, you know, you're going to die. Connect, even if you've got this I hate people feeling at the moment, try and get some oxytocin into the system. It's the best cortisol antidote. Pat your dog. Um, you know, do whatever you can to downregulate that cortisol. Um, definitely do, if you can, run, um, no, but no more than 60 minutes. If you run more than 60 minutes, your cortisol will go up and your testosterone will stop. So you've got to, like, not all, not all stress is equal. So if it's a mental stress, a physical stress, it's a social stress, it's a memory stress, what the, the, um, the protocol for that stress is different. So if it's a mental stress, maybe you should go and do a float. Um, maybe, As in a float tank. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, if you can meditate, do that. I'm actually really bad at it. Um, if, you, if you like swimming, do that. Distract, distract, distract if you can because if you say to your brain, don't think about that thing, what does your brain do? Yeah. Thinks about that thing. Mm. So um, so what we have, if you're trying to go to sleep and you're really stressed, I have this thing called an ASTAD. Um an alternate slightly technical distracting activity and you should have a bank of them next to your bed. So these are five things that your brain can go to to stop you thinking about that big stressor and there will be things that should be um, relatively repetitive, um, will not evoke emotions and something that makes you feel good. So cooking your favourite meal, doing your yoga asanas, going, um, visualising your running track, um, visualising out on your surfboard, and then you have them listed down. So my, one of my favourites is imagine if you won $500 million, who would you secretly help? Right? And so that, uh, that's the one I, I go to if I'm really sort of like activated. And so you need to have a, a set basket of safe thoughts ready to go um, to distract you from that, from that fear. You, and you've got to look, if you've got a wearable, make sure your heart rate's gone down under 100 beats per minute. If you can, try and have a sleep because um, during sleep there's some very important parts of your sleep architecture that are very, very good for um, anxiety and stress. So, you know, do you know about the sleep architecture? There's okay, you, mean, so, you mean the different stages of sleep? Yeah, the stages yeah, do, yeah. of sleep. So yeah. you've got, you know, awake, light, deep, slow wave sleep. Take me through that. REM. And so what happens is... Throughout the day, particularly if you've had a very tumultuous day, you've, you know, that you're under threat and it's not a tangible threat. It's a ephemeral, like in the space kind of which money is, right? Uh, it's not like in your hands. Yeah. Um, so it's, particularly if you've had that type of threat, your brain is going in overdrive. And whenever you think, um, whenever you look at something, whenever you memorize something, um, talk, walk, whatever, your brain uses energy, right? And so your brain lives on glucose and some other um, fats if, if you're fat adapted. But um, so in the process of um, your brain accessing energy, you have something called uh, an explosion with adenosine triphosphate. Do you know ATP? Mm -hmm. It goes Yep. Okay, so the phosphate bond comes off, creates the energy. And what's left behind is the metabolic byproduct of thinking, which is adenosine. Have you heard about this? Yep. Yeah, you know yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so adenosine we know gives you an impending sense of doom. Like it makes you feel terrible. And we'll, you know, if we feel terrible, obviously post-rationalise it, go, oh, it must be my wife, my dog, my job, my money, my whatever. You find something to blame. 
Yeah, but, but you actually have just got this product and we know that it makes you have an impending sense of doom because it's used as a um, medication for tachycardia and when doctors administer it, they have to hold people's hands and say, no, you're not going to die, you're okay, it's just the, it's just the um, adenosine. And, you know, there's only one way to get rid of adenosine. Do you know what you tell, me, tell me. Deep, slow-wave sleep. Yeah, because so, the release, something gets released from the from your spinal column. Yeah, so the cerebral spinal fluid, yeah. yep. And, yeah, um, but you don't get it unless you've been asleep for a while. Yeah, well, you've got to and get that 90-minute sleep, sleep cycle. Yeah. Um, and so it's really important to have that. People may sleep, but they may not hit deep, slow-wave sleep. Yeah. That's why I'm really into wearables. Um, anyway, and then there's REM sleep, rapid eye movement, and that's when you dream but it also this is when you consolidate memories and then you make sense of emotional um, data throughout the day. But what people often don't know, it's the, comp- the forgetting component of your sleep. There's a heap of crap that happens during the day you don't need to remember. And if you don't have that REM sleep, it's like the defrag of your brain. It's like sleep, keep, delete, you know, keep. And if you don't hit that, you feel very, very anxious. And this is particularly why alcohol um, makes you get anxiety because alcohol pushes off REM sleep. Because is because alcohol doesn't let you get into that deep sleep? REM sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And so so it pushes off the REM sleep, then it pushes off the deep slow wave sleep. So you wake up, haven't cleared the adenosine, it's double whammy, and you've still got all these memories you should have shelved like, oh, my God, did I say that last night? <laughs> yeah. um, and so, so if you are going to have... Um, have to make a big decision. I I really recommend like a ninety minute nap. You know the science of napping. Yep. Like do not nap for more than twenty minutes. Or I try not to sleep more than thirty minutes. Like well, if it's during the day. Yeah. Well, thirty minutes is, is cutting it close. You can mm. you can end up waking up in deep slow wave sleep where you yeah, get sleep inertia and you feel like you've been hit by a bus. Hundred percent. I feel like yeah. then I got to have a coffee or something, and that's the worst thing I can yeah. do because it's the mid afternoon. Well, coffee blocks adenosine. It's it's a very similar molecular structure. Um, but so going back to your point, what do you do? Um, try to do something physical to, to get rid of the, the, bioche- the biochemistry of stress, connect, um, read success statements, try and remind yourself of all the things you've done. I've seen this before. Write a letter to your younger self, giving them advice on what they should do if they ever see this. This is a really interesting science. So by giving another advice, you actually trick your brain into thinking that you have the resources and the capacity to get through this, even though you're like, oh, my, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Just by the essence of pretending that you're in the teacher's mindset will actually make you think, you know what? I've got this. And then if you write this to a younger self or you're pretending you're writing to a mentor, it really does downregulate your cortisol. So that's another strategy. Write write an advice letter of to someone else. Or to your younger self. Yeah. Avoid a lot of alcohol. I mean Does that mean any alcohol? Well, yeah, this is a really good question because I love red wine. And people say to me, how much is too much? And, and this is why I love, um, you know, biometric capture devices because they will tell you that, like, that you wake up in the morning like, yeah, that was too much. And it's very much predicated on your ancestry. So you know the, the story about who can handle alcohol and who can't? Do you know No, this? tell me that. Yeah, so, um, you know, back, you know, Irish, English, Scottish, Welsh, um, the water supply, you know, back you know, a long time ago, in the Middle Ages, was terrible, the deplorable, full of bacteria. 
And so all the babies were dying. And some really clever person realised that if you fed babies beer, most of them didn't die because of the fermentation process. You had to heat it up. That would kill some of the bacteria and the little bit of alcohol would also kill some of the bacteria. But those babies that couldn't methylate the alcohol, they were the ones that died. So literally you've got Darwinian um, development right there in front of you, genetics, you know, coming through. So anyone who's of Irish, you know, British extraction, my genes, um, you know, you can handle your alcohol Mm. um, where if you have come from a society I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where you didn't have a lot of exposure. Asian, for example. Yeah, Asia get the flushing. You don't have the enzyme. Indigenous, Pima Indians, like they just don't have the, um, the enzymatic processes within their systems to process alcohol. So um, this is why it's really important for you to be intuitive about A, what you eat and B, what you drink. And, and it, different types of alcohol will actually have a different um, outcome. So I know what I can drink. I can drink margaritas, vitamin C. Um, I can drink red wine and I can drink rum. Um, anything with sugar sets off, and I'm really into gut biome research at the moment, um, doing a, a project at the moment. And I know that if you have alcohol that has a higher sugar content, that will just add to your hangover and um, mental fogginess the next day. So it's individualized is to answer your question. So, but how does someone know this? I mean, so I guess what you're sort of saying here is that it's important to understand what your advantages are and what your disadvantages are. Mm-hmm. And that largely depends on, in the case of alcohol, for example, uh, um, you know, where your genetics originate from. Yeah. And how much you practice as well. <laughs> and, and how much you practice. And, and, you know, and therefore, you know, physically know what the effects are. But it's yeah. about noting these things and yeah. understanding this sort of stuff. But then it's about understanding, again, understanding your emotions and probably more importantly, why, what causes these feelings, these emotional feelings. Yeah. Um, Attending to it, just knowing it's a thing. And then right? the next thing is about how do I hack into it, like yeah. manage it. What, yeah, you're see, what, what you're saying here is I like understand your physiology, know your limitations, be intuitive about what you put into your body and, and you know, all, how you sleep, how you eat, how you, you know, all those things that you ingest. Have something. And can I function on this? Yep. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. I can't. No, we'll just avoid that. And actually, like, you've got to also be careful that for, for women at different times of their cycle, their tolerances for food and alcohol changes. For, and also if you're on... Um, anti-inflammatories, um, Panadol, that also changes. And also like how much 
sleep you've had and how much sugar you've got in your system. So just be really intuitive about those things and then, um, you know, understanding your emotional world, that it's really important because emotions do affect your decision-making processes and also what's really interesting, which I love um, looking into a lot at the moment, is chemo signalling. Have you heard about this? Yeah, so... Have you ever walked into a room and you've gone, whoa, something's gone on in this room. I can just feel it in the air. Yeah, and you, th- you think it's your gut instinct. Well, we know now that there are lots of um, receptors in your paranasal sinuses and, we've, and also just found on your skin that detect the chemo scent of those in your close vicinity. Again, going back to hunter-gatherers, it was very adaptive for humans to understand the stress state or the emotional state of the clan because, you know, if you're still sitting there, you know, like whittling sticks or, or foraging and then one of your clan members looks up and sees a saber-toothed tiger over there and goes and then lets out this pheromonal um, alarm signal, you don't have to go, hey, everybody run. And so it was a very adaptive way to keep us safe but also um, – you can infer people's intentions and emotions. Happy, sad, do they have nefarious intentions? Are they attracted to you? Do they want to hurt you? So humans are very, very good at picking up these things, but we pick it up on a subconscious level. And it's literally millions of data points that are hitting us and we're getting processed through our olfactory bulb. And that we're That's really nice. yeah. yeah. And so we're getting this intuition. And so you should always listen to this because it's not like just woo-woo science. It's, it's woo-woo. It's actually science. And so um, what was I talking about? Yeah, so the so understanding how other people's emotions are highly contagious. We call it emotional contagion. And so this is what I teach a lot in sport, in with executives, with leaders. You really need to understand that what you bring into a meeting will be contagious. It's like a virus. It will spread. And with athletes, they go, oh, if, if their, you know, coach has just had a fight with their wife on the phone and they walk in and they're, and they're in a bad mood and, and athletes are very good at watching the faces of their coaches and they're like, oh, it must be about me. What, what have I done wrong? Right? And that their performance will, will go down. Or if you're a, a leader and you walk into a meeting and you're in a, you know, shit mood, um, you just spread that amongst the team and they'll become more defensive, less innovative, less creative, they're less likely to share. And my research I did recently with um, Harvard professor Amy Edmondson, we found that sleep deprivation, those leaders who were sleep deprived, had lower ratings of psychological safety within their teams than those who weren't sleep deprived. And what does sleep deprived mean? So, uh, so it means... Um, 60% of your sleep needs over th- two days. So that's about three point. If you're on- only getting three and a half hours for two or th- three days, um, that's sleep deprivation. Per night. Per night. Yeah. 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 And you think you can get away with it, you can't. Um, and my research has shown that um, it really does affect your team. So, you know, understanding that there is another level of communication going on with humans that um, – we're not, you know, we're not like conscious of, but we do get that feeling. You should very much attend to that. You're talking about the Internet of Things in a human being. So we've got all these <laughs> senses around our body, yeah. you know, on our skin, in our nose, our eyes, ears, smell, taste, et cetera. Um, that's our Internet of Things. So we've got uh, data 
sensors all around the yep. uh, world and then all of that data gets gathered and goes to our brain and then the brain then does something that goes mm-hmm. into administration and starts making us get into a certain state. We've got to stop being so instinctive in our responses to the way we live our lives and start to become more logic-based by having a better understanding of how all these things work. Because, uh, you know, it depends many, on if you're not like what's your, what's your operationalization or definition of instinctive? Well, some people just work on instinct and uh, they walk, walk in a room, there's an instinct about um, there's a. Should I, should I invest on. in that person yeah. or not? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that life is so complex now, it's so sophisticated. There's so much that we will, not one human neuron can ever hope to understand. And so we need to use. I don't know, chat GPT, you know, systems that are better at logic than us. And I don't think there's like one's good and one's bad. I think we should absolutely use a hybrid model in the way we function. Like in some environments you should be maybe more logical in others you should be more instinctual or emotional. And that's what emotional intelligence is. That's what it is. Is emotional intelligence though understanding what your emotions are telling you? Or yeah. Is- oh, it's like today's not the day to be using like purely emotional data. Today I actually need to look at some spreadsheets, you know. Um, that's what emotional intelligence is, knowing the, the, the value of it, that, you know, um, where, where's, your, where's the assets? Where, where is the, the most advantageous um, line of in, inspection? To some extent, like Instagram and all those all the organisations, they're always um, – playing with our emotional intelligence to some extent in that day. Yeah, they, A-B testing us all the time. All the time. Yeah. And they're feeding us what we need to see. But ba- they, yeah, I think it's bad. Like I said to my, my teenage kids, they'll come out with something I'm like, oh, my God, what algorithm have you hit? Like, come on, get off that one. Yeah, in the case of your teenage kids, arming them up with the logic of yeah. how they're living their lives. Yeah. So that like giving them proper understanding in a sort of really mathematical sense yeah. how your how your brain and body interact with in relation to things that you might be reading. And and because for me, Facebook, Instagram, all those things, their game is to understand you as a user better than you understand yourself. Yep. And to nudge you into places they want you to go yeah. and starve you. They'll predict your, your behaviour even though, even before you know you're going to do it. And it's, it's quite and terrifying. And feed you what they think you need. Yeah. And, and starve you what you don't need. Yeah. Which means you don't get a chance to see anything broader than what you need. Yeah, which that's means precisely never... why I, I um, like I was in the States and I was watching Fox News um, one morning and then CNN the next morning. Just to stuff them up. Would, yeah, just because I, I mean. The opposite ends of the spectrum. Absolute opposite yeah. ends of this. And it was like diabolically like so different, diametrically opposed to like these truths was just insane. Neither one of them is the truth. Well, Fox News was pretty whack. I was listening to Sean Hannity. You know, it's, it's frightening. There's the, the we're, we are post truth age. Like, yeah, it it doesn't exist, and there's just absolutely no way for us to, I think, feel safe that what we're being told is true. And is this a reason why? People don't trust governments. Oh, I mean, yeah. It, it, but there's a breakdown of trust in all institutions, religious institutions, academic institutions, governments, um, even doctors now. Like 
do you remember before, like, you know, our parents or like in the 50s, like you always respected the priest, the teacher, the the politician yeah. or whatever. And like, the doctor. Down and the the do- all the doctors. And the chemist. Yeah, like you, you really respected them like it was God's word. But now, like my generation, they're highly sceptical and highly suspicious of everything because – you know, everyone's just been lied to so much. Given that is the case, and I think I agree with you, it is the case. I, I feel that about way about just about every one of those categories you mentioned. But I might have, I think I've always been a bit of a skeptic, generally speaking, because that's my thing. I'm anti-authority generally. Yeah. Um, so, but how do but you? Why? Why, why am are you I? anti? Yeah. I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, I just don't like authority. I don't like people telling me what to do. How come? Um, I don't know why. I've never sat down and examined it. How come? That'd be really interesting. I, I, get, I, get, think a be- about I get better outcomes when I'm anti-authority. I get I get better rewards. How do you know? Have you been like? Have you respected yeah, I, authority? I, I, I've, I have also, but I have been through the process of playing the game, so to speak. Yeah, and I've worked in those environments where yeah. I am a, a compliance person. Yeah, interpreting law, yeah. the law, to comply with the rules set by parliament, which yeah. is written by politicians who are reacting to social environments. Yeah. I've been in all categories. Yeah. And I've been like you, I watch CNN one minute, or I listen to the ABC one minute, I'll listen to Sky News in the next minute. You know, like <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to, uh, yeah, but, so, but I prefer to play the game. I'm actually exploring all these things. Like what do you, what, like, so like one minute saying- I can be representing, um, one minute I can be representing when I was younger, um, somebody doing something completely compliant and then the next minute I can be representing someone who's completely non-compliant and I enjoyed both. Yeah. I enjoyed playing in both and seeing how both operated. Yeah. One minute it could be Alan Bond, for those people mm. who know Alan Bond. Yeah. Who was the, you know, what he got results by being non-compliant. Then five minutes later I could be representing um, an institution who's, you know. Compliant. You know, Totally compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a government institution, um, mm-hmm. and then, or it could be the police department. But at the end of the day, to me, they're all the same. Well, what motivates you? Do you think? Because I think I know I I enjoy um, playing around in the fictions of the world. So everything's a fiction. Everything's invented as a mm-hmm. fiction. Everything mm-hmm. is fiction. So everything someone made up. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everything. There are some basic. Things laws are, like gravity. Yeah, Newton's laws, three laws, you know, yeah. all those sorts of laws, of, of those physics, physics yeah. laws. Um, but to me they're the only real rules that mm-hmm. make sense to me. Mathematical rules make sense to me. But everything else to me in a qualitative sense, mm-hmm. in a uh, humanity sense, is probably a fiction. Mm-hmm. And therefore I and, and I enjoy looking at all the fictions. I, so I do you enjoy being surprised um, that your worldview has been – no, I enjoy. No, Skewed? no, I, I rarely get surprised. Um, oh, really? I rarely get surprised. I'm a lot older than you, so <laughs> maybe when I was younger, I maybe when I was younger, That's I did. That's sad because surprise is so like. Yeah, no, surprise and delight is a really important um, yeah. function. I mean, but I rarely get surprised anymore. Yeah. Um, mainly because I'm those things that I'm interested in, I rarely get surprised about. There, there would be things that I'm not interested in, or I have no area of exposure to, which I probably would get surprised, but I don't play in those areas. Mm-hmm. I just tend to stick in my various lanes. So you never, you never surprise yourself anymore? No, I haven't been surprised. By yourself? For a long time, yeah. Wow. So because I probably have, you know, I only have a certain amount of capacity, in, in the time, mental capacity, et cetera. Um, so I choose maybe 10 streams 
I'm not limited. I don't have two or three streams. I have quite a number of streams that I find interesting, but I that's all I got time for. Yeah. So I play in those ten streams because I, I'm a student of every stream. Yeah. Well, what motivates you to choose those streams? Like what? Just I, I motivates me is just to continually underpin in my mind the fiction of life. Underpin the fiction of life. How everything is a fiction. How everything is something we've developed neurologically to believe to be the story that. How is that we helpful to. for your listeners? Do you think to to? Well, I don't play that game with my listeners. That's me. Oh, okay, yeah. That's not me. Mm-hmm. Um, my listeners are here to listen to you. And yeah. My game mm-hmm. with you is to hear what you've got. But to is say. it a luxury though? Do you think to to know? Think that life's a game, like when you've got a massive mortgage, you're a single mum, you've got a you know base, you know base pay job, your kids are sick, like That's a is that an indulgence to, to then say, oh, it's all a game? No, I don't say that to anybody. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm answering that to you. You're asking me that in, as a behavioural scientist and, yeah. and I'm being honest to you about yeah. it because that's what I believe. But I wouldn't say that to somebody else Yeah, because that's irresponsible yeah. for me to say that to them because that's not reflecting on how they're feeling Yeah, and they don't think it's a game. To them it's life and death or whatever, it's major. And, in fact, recently I put out a, um, a post talking about that, how I've experienced these things in the past where you have to sell your house and tell your, your wife or your husband and you've got four kids in my case and you have to go through these things. And, and how did, did you cope with it? I'd love to hear, like, then, what happened. Yeah, like, I was younger then. but uh, What did you do? How did you feel? sold. How did I feel? Dreadful for a minute. And who, who did you feel like you most disappointed at that time? My family, my wife and my children. Yeah. Yeah. So not so much yourself but it was your kids. Nah, and, yeah. I didn't care about myself that much. Mm. Um, no, it's more them. But I, I was more concerned about them, how they felt. But also I was I was pretty sure I could rebuild. Yeah. So just get back on. Get did back you have a mentor? Um, yeah, I sort of did. I had, um, in a professional sense, yeah, I, like the senior partners of the law firm I worked at were mentors of mine, yeah. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. that's important. But in a, in a more a skill sense, not in a not lifestyle. Not a personal. Not in a lifestyle sense, you know. Yeah. Well, how did you know what was the right way to go or what to do? At the time? Yeah. Um, well, as I'm a student, what I do, so I took the view that it's time to sell, sell, sell now because it's going to get worse, which it did. Sell now, to get out now. Get rid of the interest rate stress, yeah. Repayment stress, yeah. And uh, in those days, it was okay. Go and rent something. Um, so you were flexible. Well, agile. It'd be different today because it might be harder to rent. You might be getting into a worse trap. You might not be able to rent. You could rent then, mm. but I made decisions based on the premise that existed at the time. Yeah. Um, and but I sort of had a bit of sense of what was going on. Like I. Academically, I know how these cycles work, or I thought I knew how those cycles worked yeah. um, at the time, and I just backed my own judgment. But I, I would, but I also know it's it's it is a game, and why I say it's a game, I don't mean it's I take it frivolously. Yeah, but the money game is a game. It's a, but it's a, it, money doesn't exist. It's a made up construct. Totally, it's yeah. a, as I said, it's a fiction. Yeah, and it's made up by somebody. Yeah, you know. Um, it doesn't matter. It exists. I mean, I, I, I can. It, it's, it's real, and that is actually happening. Yeah. Aren't we funny? Humans were so obsessed with with this game. With yeah, this, totally. with this, Well, this we get caught up in it too easy. Concept. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a loser. Mm. What is money to you then? A means to an end. It mm. just it gets me what it is. What I think I need to get. And what do you need to get now? 
Nothing. <laughs> peace of mind yeah. and a good night's sleep. Peace, yeah. We, well, that money can buy you peace. For me, money's freedom. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just to like. Yeah, it, it, it gives you options. Yeah. But of, often the options, too many options is a problem. Yes. And, uh, and you've got a boat and house and cars. You've got to insure that stuff. You've got to well, look you gotta, after it. You've got to manage it and yeah. you've got to use it. And you've got two hours. You're going to think, which which house should I stay in? Oh, hang on, I'm not using that one. And should I rent it? Okay, I'm going to rent it. Then I've got to, then there's a problem with it. So it gives you options, but look. So you're going back to simplicity, you think? Yeah, yeah. Peace. I'm not, I don't have a simple life, but I seek a simple life. I seek simplicity and peace of mind. Yeah. As you get older, you, that's my thing. I seek simplicity and peace of mind. In other words, not too many aggravations. Not too many things to worry about. When you were about. 30, could you imagine this com- these words coming out of your mouth? When I was 30? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, at thir- 30 I was uh, ambitious um, in reflecting what I didn't have and what I wanted to get and what others had. Was, I, was, were you like about more about um, deficit-driven or passion-driven back then? Um, I don't want to lose? Th- th- some, probably between 20 and 30 more deficit-driven. Yeah. Um, Interesting question. After that more about what I wanted to have as opposed to what I didn't have. I'm scared of losing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been through different phases. I mean, I often explain to people the concept of hard work and for me the concept of hard work was when I first started working was driven by monkey see, monkey do. My father worked hard, my mother worked hard, therefore I work hard. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. After a certain period of time I saw people, I realised hard work gave you reward. So I wasn't working hard just for the sake of working hard because that's what I always saw. I was working hard because it was about reward. I could get myself that Mercedes-Benz, that BMW. The harder work, the more expensive things I could get, holidays, houses, blah, blah, blah. We're lucky we live in this this formula in Australia where work in equals output out. Not every society has that. No, and obviously I'm talking about my specific society. Yeah. And then you know, I could have been in um, some part of India at that period of time where the harder I work I get nothing. I just get a bag of rice. Yeah. And um, and then finally I worked out now work I work hard because I can. You can? Or you, do you I, love it? I no, I, I respect it. Yeah. I honor the fact that I have the capacity yeah. to work hard. I got friends who've had strokes, mm. dead, cancer, heart attacks, um, drug addicts. Mm-hmm criminals mm-hmm. in jail mm-hmm. uh, who can't do what I do. Mm-hmm. So to me- It's a great privilege. It's a privilege. Mm-hmm. So exercise it and make use of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. So they're the different stages I've been through in my life. So to answer your question, but I want to get back to you. Sorry. That's my human <laughs> You can't help yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, so- I was going to ask, how's your relationship with your mother? <laughs> yeah. Well, my mother's well, was great. She's passed away. Oh, but sorry but she'd offer me MND. But, but that she'd be proud of you, you think? Oh, yeah, my parents are oh. unbelievably proud because they probably lived through me a bit. Vicariously. And my brother and my sister, yeah. Yeah. Vicariously, yeah, but but in a not in an evil sort of sinister way. That's yeah, not sort of, way. you know, like it's not that sort of. You the golden golden boy? I was the eldest of the family, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so I was the first to do all these things. But my brother and sister have gone along done exactly the same stuff. But it's an interesting thing you talk about sleep because my, and you, that you raised my mother, my mother died at 86, 87, mm. a couple of years ago. She died from her neuro disease, but she never had any symptoms. And my mother's Irish background. And um, motor neuro disease is a heavily, in a genetic 
genetically mm-hmm. acqui- can be genetically acquired. Got Irish in my blood yep. too. Mm-hmm. And it's and one person island per day gets diagnosed with motor neurone disease. Large, they don't know. It, it, Gut bone maybe. It was it's it's the BMC when I took it to the BMC brain mind centre. They were telling me that some of the things they discovered was it can be offset off with alcohol. My mother didn't drink, but a lot of Irish people oh, drink. Thank God. Um, the second <laughs> one, it can be set off by any form of poison, like you could have been subject to chemotherapy or something oh, like that. Yeah. So it's those sorts of things. Um, um, I didn't. So you mean not, not offset? Like it actually instigates actuated, it, actuated oh, when you've got a it. Okay, when yep. you've got a genetic oh yeah disposition disposition yep. for it. So yep. in other words, been g- genetically is um, it like genetics loads the gun and your environment pulls the trigger? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and there are you know there's a hundred tests Factors. that they do and that, that they've seen that are correlated to MND in mm-hmm. your in your bloodstream. Wow. And. Uh, are you worried? No, I've had it tested, so I'm okay. okay. I have none of them. Oh, because my okay. father's Greek, so I must have got more of <laughs> yeah. that part of it. But, but there, but those things can stay dormant in your system forever. Yeah. But there are things that will set it off. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I, I I often thought about my mother, and it's it's interesting you should say about sleep. My mother was a chronically bad sleeper. Really. Chronically. How come? Well, we never knew, and uh, Mum wouldn't get it test tested, and um, but she was like she wouldn't she'd go to bed at ten o'clock at night, but she'd be up at one. I wish she had 12. that gene, deck two gene. You know, it's like I think it's four and ten hundred thousand people, and you you only sleep like three or four hours a night. Yeah, and that's that's and she would do that for about six nights in a row, and then the last. Then what would she do when she was up? Watch television, make hot, did all the things that she thought would work, make hot chocolate and stuff like that. And I always wondered to myself. Like you were saying before, when you get into that deep sleep, um, MND, I, I wondered, you know, people who get things like Alzheimer's disease and dementia as well, I wonder if it's because they haven't had it and they, they drink a lot, they don't have a chance to clear the debris in their brain. And I don't know if there's any studies on this. But, heaps of studies, yeah. But the sleep factor in your life I think is critical to living a longer life. Oh, God, yeah. And like, quality. It's like honestly – I, I thought sleep was super boring and if I could take a pill and get my sleep needs in a pill, I would have absolutely done it. I, I don't like sleeping. But now I've been doing all this research and literally if if you want to change your life, it gives you the biggest bang for buck. It's the most free, democratically available, most effective performance-enhancing activity that you can do and and it it's unbelievably potent. And what is most potent is sleep consistency. So if you can't get much sleep, because a lot of people can't get much sleep, right? It's just if you've got kids, you've got work. Um, so if, you, if you're going to do anything, at least try and get to bed within a 15-minute window. Don't go to bed one, one night, ten, one night, two, one night, eight, one night. Make it at 11.30 every night. Yep. And it will literally change your life. Because, you know, every little clock and every cell in, in your body wants to know what's up, right? There's a, so you've got to, as Matthew Walker says, you've got to, sleep like you're landing a plane so there's these biochemical processes that need to get into play before you can hit your body core temperature needs to drop two degrees to get into deep sleep so lots of food things can mess with with sleep um like msg i, I think this yeah. is a really really under known sleep disruptor it gives you terrible nightmares and it, it does it to me which is why i don't eat certain types of foods yeah and it's in everything it's not just by the Chinese food. No, it's, it's in not just Mexican, food. Italian. It's yeah, in pizza. It, it, yeah, like I had Domino's pizza the other day and I was just, I could not sleep. I had crazy dreams and I woke up just like feeling terrible. So if I've got a big day, I make sure I've got nothing with sauce on it, nothing packaged and nothing um, 
no takeout. I just clean, eat. And then, and so would would you say to have your best life then that you sort of have a little bit? It can end up being a bit of a boring or regulated <laughs> environment, no? Because I, well, I don't used get me to wrong, be, but um, yeah, I, I totally. You know, you, you, you yeah. no, eat you at a certain to. time of night. You yeah. eat a certain type of food at night. You downregulate yourself between that point and the time you go to bed. You try to go to bed the same time every night. Um, you try to not spend too much time on one of these things um, and, pro- pro- you know, get into some sort of habit yeah. that allows you to drift into It sleep. sounds so boring, doesn't it? It does sound boring. But yeah. but if you want to live for a long time in a good life, yeah. a quality life as opposed to being completely fucked up, um, you, you need to live like this. Well, Exercise th- is important. Yeah, well, this is really interesting. So I'm, I've come up with a seven pillars of a healthy life. And we're actually, um, when I was in the states, where we're doing a documentary on this, and I, I can't use the word because I'm under NDA, but like we're doing a whole franchise on this my formula for yep. a good life. And, and I, what it basically says, so you've got all these factors like eating, moving, your relationships, what how you think, your actual environment, and your life purpose. Now. At any one time, it's like a wheel. At any one time, not all of them are going to be like in the green. And, okay, so if you know that you're going to be eating crap food, at least make sure you exercise. So they're levers, right? And so it's a formulaic approach. So you have like this, I suppose, like a metabolic score at the end. And then what you do is you go, okay, I'm feeling a bit lost in my life purpose. Well, then where I'm going to put a lot of, you know, activity into my relationship or or uh, moving more. And Backfill. So, yeah, and so because like there's no way and, and, and stri- getting stressed about, oh, I shouldn't be eating that, I should be in bed, the cortisol that you secrete is probably <laughs> so, so much worse than, you know, staying up. And you cannot, cannot deny the absolute importance of having a drink with your mates. Yeah. You know, the social connectivity um, about, about, you know, staying up one night and, and watching that movie, eating that block of chocolate, like do it. But what I do is I know my limitations. I know I can go out. So we were over in Austin at South by Southwest. I was going to bed at three, four every morning. We were drinking margaritas. We were eating, you know, crappy food and no sleep. But it was so much fun and so exciting. And I know now how to go back and I know how to get my butt gut bone. I know exactly what to do. So I do have the bandwidth to like, you know, have a breakout every now and again. But I think what is the most important factor is happiness because when you're unhappy, if you've got a toxic relationship, if you have a toxic relationship with your own body, with your work, with your future, like that stuff kills you. That's that's the stuff that kills you. It's your perception of how well you're doing in all of these factors, which is worse. So if you are going to, you know, I don't know, drink or eat or, or you know, put on weight, just own it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? so do it. Yeah, but and and know that embrace the, it. The con, the con, yeah, the consternation around it, and then the guilt. Guilt is such a toxic emotion. It really is because you produce all these stress hormones. It, it um, stops you from sleeping. You don't regenerate. Um, so I'm all about being happy, having a really good laugh, a laugh all the time, and I think that keeps you young. It keeps you vital. It keeps you from taking yourself too seriously. And then good things just come around, you know, just because 
I don't know, you're just maybe more happy, more fun to be around. People will give you opportunities. Um, you've got lots more energy. And I really want to, because I'm, I'm starting to um, build out this lab, like one of the one of the experiments we're going to look at is the metabolic cost of negative rumination. So we're going to get people in the lab and see their metabolic basal rate at baseline, get them to like think shameful, embarrassing, negative thoughts or happy thoughts, and we'll see just how expensive it is. It's metabolically expensive. You mean in a, in a sense of what, what's what's going to be what's floating around in their blood, or in terms of how their brain's going? Well, it's You're actually how much MRI? how much energy they're going to be using. Right. Okay. Like, like everything's you know work life balance. Like that's all going out the window. It's energy management is the, is the key now. Know what depletes you, know what replenishes you and be really clear about that and know what, know where you're, what I, I like to use the word, um, like the analogy of, you know, a deep sea saturation diver, right? When you're down at depth and you're breathing nitrogen, like you get, you know, you get nitrogen into your bloodstream and if you come up too soon, um, you get nitrogen bubbles and get the bends, it's very painful and can kill you. And so you've got to go into a decompression chamber, right? We all know that life's going to be stressful and hard. We've been naive to think that, you know, it's not going to be. So if you've, you're down at depth for a couple of weeks and you're like you're slugging it out, you've had stressful stuff in the news, banks going down, your kid's sick, whatever, know how to get into your specific decompression chamber for you. And it's different for everyone. Someone might be going and playing golf or going to the pub with their mates. Someone's might yoga, someone's massage, someone's walking in green. But like know it, know what's your decompression chamber and know when to oscillate between going at it hard and then going into that um, replenishing um, rejuvenation mode. And if you don't, it's a matter of science, right? It's not like it's indulgence. It's not like, oh, you're weak because you've got to decompress. Like it's a matter of physics. And that's what I, that, that's what I do. I'll go hard. I'll work really hard, not sleep that much. Um, but then I'll always know. Well, actually my partner knows. <laughs> okay, we're booking this. I'm booking you in for a massage, but um, we're decompressing today. You just reminded me of when I was in my 40s, maybe 50s, um, uh, when I my decompression chamber, I never realised until you just told me, um, is that I lived across the road from um, Botanical Gardens. I lived in a oh, building nice. called the Astor Building. And uh, when I got really stressed out, like fully stressed, my thing was to go go out downstairs, get dressed, summer or winter, go downstairs, walk across the road, go across Macquarie Street, Climb the fence. I actually found a spot where I could climb under the fence because the, the <laughs> this is your anti-authoritarian nature well, coming the, out. The, yeah, and the, <laughs> and the and the botanical gardens were locked off, and I uh, there was a spot I could get under and walk around in the dark. Ah, oh. of the gardens. Wow. Well, the smell of the green. We know it's a, it's a cortisol antidote. So there's a there's um a chemical in in grass that actually downregulates cortisol. I know this because the study at University of Queensland, and it goes back to the evolutionary thing. If you're around green. It means there's been water, there's food, there's probably animals you can eat, and you're safe, right? So the, it, being in the dark is an interesting thing, maybe because you were unseen then and people couldn't see that you were stressed and maybe... Uh, maybe. I, I just liked it. It was like yeah. it was a bit like... Naughty. Adventurous <laughs> and scary and stuff like, you know, like, but at the same time it was cool. Like That's an interesting point. So you were probably stressed about things that weren't tangible, really tangible, right? So if you go into a dangerous environment and give your brain a reason for that anxiety, 
it goes, oh, I make sense. You're in the dark. Of course you should be stressed. Do you know, do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I always say if you've got this like social stress and there's this affair, like this, you know, this like this feeling that you just can't get 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 over, um, go and like have a cold shower because then your brain goes, oh, you're cold. That's why you're stressed. And when you get warm, you've sold it. So go, you go and do something scary and then your brain can attach that anxiety to a thing. To the scary thing. And like, uh, Then I could come back and I go to sleep. Yeah, that must – maybe I, I your brain wanted to make sense of it. And it was also naughty. So it was something I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Dr. Jamie King, thanks very much. Nice to pleasure. meet you. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.